Big Takes is a podcast from BCA Research, informing investors with straightforward, actionable analysis of macro and market events. Hi there, and welcome to the Quick Takes podcast. I'm your host, Rakaya Ibrahim, strategist at BCA Research. The recent bank failures have complicated the task for central banks on both sides of the Atlantic. On the one hand, restrictive monetary policy is needed to battle elevated inflation and tight labor markets. But on the other hand, higher interest rates threaten to exacerbate the turmoil in the banking sector. Over the past week, the Fed, ECB, Bank of England, Swiss National Bank, and Norgus Bank all delivered rate hikes despite the ongoing turmoil. So a key question facing investors is what are the implications of the banking sector issues on the broader economy and monetary policy? Are central banks now more constrained in their ability to tighten rates? Or do they have the tools to contain the bank turmoil and therefore can continue to focus on combating inflation? So in this week's episode, my colleague Doug Pita is joining me to give his take on the turmoil and what it means for the U.S. economy and Fed policy. Doug is BCA Research's chief U.S. investment strategist. Hi, Doug. Welcome back to the podcast. Thanks for joining me. Thank you, Rikaya. So prior to the unraveling of the banking situation, you had a relatively optimistic take on the near-term outlook for the U.S. economy. Uh, Your base case was that a recession was unlikely this year and more likely in 2024. And a key reason for your optimism about the outlook this year was your expectation that basically excess savings that were accumulated by households during the pandemic will continue to provide a tailwind for consumption. Now, have the bank failures changed this outlook and have they changed your view on the timing of the next recession? So if banks are tightening lending standards and households are worried about the safety of their deposits, do you think that consumers will be less likely to draw down their excess savings? I do think it has definitely changed my investment strategy view. It's definitely changed my market expectations so that, you know, as you described, you know, we did expect that a flush consumer, a consumer flush with excess pandemic savings, would be able to keep the economy growing, right? Keep the expansion going for all of calendar 2023. And that would not just help GDP growth, but we expect it would help corporate earnings growth and therefore allow the S&P 500 or equities, U.S. equities in general, to generate positive excess returns over treasuries and cash. We are still holding to the view that we do think equities in the near term will generate those positive excess returns, but we no longer are looking for the S&P 500 to get to 4,500. That target seems way too ambitious against a backdrop of turmoil and instability within the banking system. As far as the timing of the next recession, it hasn't led us to change that view yet. Though, of course, you know, that can change as data as the data unfold. But I think it's you know, one thing that's going on here is that there's a trade-off. And I think there's a trade-off between tighter lending standards or credit conditions and Fed monetary policy actions. So I do think if we see tighter credit conditions manifesting themselves, 
then we will see a lower terminal rate, a lower peak Fed funds rate in this cycle than we otherwise would have. And Chair Powell alluded to that. If you know, He alluded to it, although he came pretty close to saying it explicitly, that, look, tighter credit conditions from the banking turmoil will impact what the Fed is doing. And understood that the Fed would hike less if tighter credit conditions effectively do some of the Fed's work for it in attempting to slow down the economy, cool off the economy to combat inflation. But I still think the excess savings, they're still there to tide over borrowers. So let's shift a little bit to uh, the outlook for the deposits and the banks. Uh, now, the banks that have less than $250 billion in assets, they are not subject to the same capital and liquidity requirements as the systemically important financial institutions or the SIFI banks. So one of the consequences of the banking fallout is that the depositors are pulling their money from the smaller banks and putting them in the larger banks. Now, this problem would be resolved if authorities announced a blanket insurance on all banking deposits. However, on Wednesday, Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen, she said that she hasn't discussed a blanket insurance. And when asked about it at the FOMC press conference, Powell said that people should assume that all deposits are guaranteed, which seems to suggest that if another regional bank fails, then the Fed, the Treasury and the FDIC will make an exception and guarantee all uninsured depositors. So do you think attempts by authorities such as Powell to reassure depositors are enough to stem the outflow uh, of deposits from the community and regional banks, or is a blanket insurance on all deposits a prerequisite for restoring financial stability? Yeah, I th that is something I'd love to know, and I think every investor would love to know, because if these assurances from the Fed chair are enough to stop the bleeding or, or stop the the mini riot that we are seeing, then you know, financial markets can regain their footing sooner. I unfortunately don't think that is going to be enough. I would guess, and I say guess because we have to remember we're talking about psychology here. Fractional reserve banking is always risky because Deposits are always tenuous. We call checking accounts demand deposits because depositors can demand them in full at any time with no warning. Most of the time, nearly all of the time, that doesn't become a problem because depositors en masse do not invoke that right all at the same time. Right? It's, and I think the banks know very well, just like life insurers have their actuarial tables. You know, they know in the normal course of business about what share of their deposits depositors are going to want. Well, when you have runs, that you know, runs upend that calculus. So it's a matter of psychology. This won't end until depositors are placated until the general public and, and businesses are placated until they're satisfied that their deposits are safe and that they don't have any incentive to rush to move deposits to SIFI banks or you know to split the deposits that they have if they have deposits over the $250,000 FDIC cap among several banks. 
to make sure that all of them are covered by the insurance. So, you know, I don't know, but I suspect it will take something more than Chair Powell's assurance. And as we talked about in our live streamed morning meeting this morning, Secretary Yellen and Chair Powell don't have the pro forma authority, the proactive authority to guarantee all deposits. They can react after the fact, just as the Fed and the FDIC and the Treasury did the weekend uh, after Silicon Valley Bank failed and then Signature Bank as well that weekend. But they can't do it preemptively. So I think they kind of have to tiptoe around the topic, uh, though I think, you know, as was embedded in your question, I think it is right to assume that regulators will stand by to make depositors whole. But, you know, you said if another regional bank fails, I'd say if, you know, one or two or three fail. But you know, the numbers the numbers become daunting if we would have you know, 20, 30, 40 banks fail. What's interesting this week uh, is that despite the banking turmoil, central banks, uh, the Fed, the ECB, the SNB, they have continued to tighten monetary policy. Uh, at the FOMC press conference, Chair Powell revealed that when he's assessing the appropriate or when policymakers are assessing the appropriate interest rate policy response to the banking stress, they're basically viewing the turmoil through its impact on bank lending standards and in turn the economy. Uh, and the summary of economic projections shows that the majority of participants expect the Fed funds rate to end the year above current levels. Now, this is in contrast with market expectations of rate cuts before the end of the year. So how do you expect the banking turmoil to impact Fed policy this year? You mentioned earlier that the banking crisis likely reduces the extent of rate hikes. But do you think that the Fed is likely to cut interest rates this year in a scenario in which there is no recession? Simple answer, no, I do not expect the Fed to cut interest rates in 2023 if there isn't a recession. And as you mentioned, it is our base case in U.S. investment strategy that the recession will not begin until sometime in 2024. And I would say, you know, it's the consensus of BCA strategists that rate cuts in 2023 are very, very unlikely. But I do think that if indeed we do see credit standards tighten, if we do see less credit availability because of the banking turmoil, then the Fed will hike less than it otherwise would have. That it will consider that when deciding how much more incremental tightening monetary policy has to provide to the economy to make sure that we slay the inflation dragon. And I think that's going on around the world. You know, you saw the Swiss National Bank hike by 50 basis points today, uh, despite the real big upheaval there with Credit Suisse being assumed by UBS. So I think it's the tighter that credit standards get because of this turmoil, the less the right hikes that we'll get. But I think we get to the same place in terms of trying to cool aggregate demand to ensure that inflation doesn't, that the inflation genie can be put back in the bottle. Well, thanks a lot for joining me today on the podcast, Doug. Thanks for having me, Rikai. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Quick Takes podcast. We'll be bringing you weekly quick takes with BCA strategists on a range of macro and market topics. 
stay tuned for next week's episode.